Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. I'm excited to welcome Mark Dodrell to the stage to deliver our keynote presentation this morning. I first met Mark eight years ago at a Global Impact Conference. We struck up a conversation which sparked some ideas, which led to a partnership between Faith and Juventud para Cristo in Barcelona, uh, Youth for Christ in Barcelona. Over the last uh, six years now, we've gone and supported their English their evangelistic English camp. Uh, over those years, I've grown to appreciate Mark and Stephanie, their ministry in Spain, and especially Mark's uh, skillful handling of the Word of God. So uh, if you would, with me, welcome Mark to the stage for our keynote. Mark. Thanks, brother. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is magic. Uh, in, in my country, we have to use a technological device where you press a button, but here you just go like that and people change. Uh, so you were much more advanced. Okay, so the uh, title that I was given, I thought, uh, for this conference was a Step Up to the Plate, right? Uh, so here's a, a few uh, full disclosure statements. I never liked baseball, okay? <laughs> I just don't like it, and there's, there's reasons for that. I couldn't see the point in memorizing all those stats. I had, I had these friends that were obsessive-compulsive about this, and they would sit there and memorize the baseball cards. I thought, why? Why would you do that? Uh, and, and I was a pretty pathetic player. You know, that's, uh, you probably, if I would have gotten out on the field yesterday, it would have been pretty disastrous. Um, and let's face it, baseball is just plain dangerous. I mean, you, you, you're not safe out there. In fact, I think, Scott, you uh, experienced that a little bit uh, when you got that uh, hit to the arm. Um, but one of the worst moments was stepping up to the plate. Okay, if you're a bad baseball player, stepping up to the plate is like the worst. Um, because you're all alone, everybody's watching, right? Um, yeah, that was another one. Okay, and, and heckling or a certain amount of verbal abuse is really sanctioned at those points. You know, hey, matter, matter, hey, you're going to miss, etc. You know, terrible things. So here's the big question. Who would use that for a phrase for the global conference? I mean, that's ridiculous. Why terrorize people? Okay? But here, here's the phrase. Now, the phrase is interesting. It, it originates in baseball, but it's used in business and another uh, bunch of fields about the turn of the century. So it's not that old. But what it means is to take action when something needs to be done, even though it may be difficult. And I think that's a pretty good phrase, really. To take action when something needs to be done, even though it may be difficult. So let's unpack that a little bit. Now, you know, we live in a great world. I mean, you know, things get easier all the time, right? Technology makes our lives easier safer, more comfortable. I mean, it is just nice. And every time we come back to the States, we think, oh, there are, there are greater degrees of comfort and safety that can be achieved with technology. But it probably makes us more wasteful, uh, a little more selfish, more demanding. You don't think so, just take somebody's cell phone away. Uh, and more impatient. You know, like this, uh, this gal says, I can only please one person per day. Today I choose me. Uh, she does that most days. <laughs> so how do you think that affects our willingness 
to pursue justice, to sacrifice ourselves, to do hard things for Jesus. How does that affect us, all that technology? Uh, Do you think it helps us to find purpose and meaning in life, having things easier and easier all the time? Does that help? Probably not. Because there's this guy named Jesus who said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if that's really true, and giving is kind of difficult, how do we learn to be givers and not just takers? You know, wouldn't that be a good question to answer? I wish I knew the answer. Okay, here we go. Let's look at Isaiah's story of how he was called to step up to the plate. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I don't know how long. You know, Joey said I can preach as long as I want, but you guys will probably leave about 1130. So um, (laughs) we'll try to get through that. All right, let's go. Okay, now, wait a minute. Did we skip two? Is there back? Can we get back? Aye. Okay, there. Good. I think we skipped somehow. All right. The first phrase of chapter 6, Isaiah, look at it in your Bible if you want. I'll have the text on, on screen so you can look here as well if you don't like to open pages or look at your mobile and, and act like you're texting someone when you should be listening to the sermon. Um, <laughs> it, the first phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. Stop. Okay, next slide. Wait a minute. You're slipping. It's uh, jumping. <laughs> Back, 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 like way back, Uh, back again, Uh, back again, there, there, there we go, okay, we're good, all right, so who was King Isaiah? Now, the interesting thing, Isaiah was probably related to this guy, somehow, maybe his uncle, it's it's hard to say exactly, but he was related to this guy, he had a 52-year reign. And he was impressive. I mean, it was a time of prosperity, good leadership, victory, international fame. The Bible even details his technological advances in the art of of defense and of war. Um, But when he became powerful, the text says in 2 Chronicles, um, his pride led to his downfall. And he went into the temple and tried to offer, um, make, make an offering like the priests do, and he was struck with leprosy. And he ended his life in disgrace and solitude because of God's judgment on his life. So, you know, when he finally died, Isaiah, who had begun his ministry already, uh, experienced a time of uncertainty, of sadness, of discouragement, uh, of a sense of failure. So what do you do when you feel like that? Get angry? Give up? give in. I think a lot of the people that Scott and uh, uh, his wife talk with on the field feel that way. It's a common experience. What do we do? Isaiah was discouraged. Instead of things getting better, things were getting worse. What do you do when you feel that way? Next one. (laughs) Yeah, we're having trouble there. Okay, so what did Isaiah do? Isaiah sought the Lord. Now that was a good idea. He sought the Lord. And he said, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Probably went to the temple and had this vision in the temple or thereabouts. Uh, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, Uzziah had just died, but Isaiah saw another throne and he saw another king. And that made a lot of difference. And look at what happens then. Above him were the seraphim, literally, that means fiery beings. Uh, each with six wings. 
With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that was a great hymn to be able to sing as an introduction to this sermon. Um, so these seraphim constantly express several aspects of God. His power, his completeness, his holiness, and the, the glory of God that fills the entire earth. Now let me ask you something. Do you lose track of the glory of God sometimes? Monday mornings, for example. You know, so it, sometimes it's hard to see. You know, I love the, 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 the hymn that says, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory cannot see, but he's still there. And we need to be sure that we understand that because if we don't, then we're not going to step up to any plate. We're not going to do anything for God because we do not have the power to do that. It has to be God working in us to make this effective. And so as Isaiah sees God for who he is, he begins to see himself as he is. And the text reads, it says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He saw himself in all his misery, looked himself in the mirror. When you see God, he shows you yourself. Back. Back again. Back again. Back again. Back again. Yeah, okay, forward. <laughs> Next. Next. Uh, it's not working, is it? <laughs> We're missing slides someplace here. Well, anyway, so much for technology. It works so well. Makes life easier, safer. Oh, no. Never mind. So Isaiah sees God for who he is. Then he sees himself for who he is. And he sees and experiences the mercy of God. Now, you know, just as a missionary, I've been out there a while, right? You need to come back and see God frequently. Like, always. And when you see him, you're going to see yourself. But you're not going to see yourself the way you did when you were depressed because King Uzziah died. You're going to see yourself in a redemptive way that helps you to understand that God's grace is enough for your sin. And he can touch your life and make it new. Now, if you haven't experienced that yet, today would be a good time to do that. But Isaiah, once he is cleansed by God, once he experienced that, that forgiveness that God offers, he steps up to the plate. And so you will never step up to the plate for God unless you have seen God's power and holiness unless you've experienced God's love and forgiveness. Next one. Next one. Okay, Isaiah doesn't just think about it. He offers all that he has and all that he is to God. Now, really, that's pretty logical. Okay, but it doesn't always happen. There may be people here who've seen God for who he is. 
seen themselves for who they are, but they haven't made this step. They haven't made the step to say, here I am, send me. Next one. So in the long history of sermons over this passage, most of the sermons end right here, right? With, it's a wonderful life. Uh, they live, they end in the happily ever after. Oh, give your life to God. It's all going to be fine. Next slide. But the call with, uh, of God, uh, you know, God uh, sends him a call, and it continues. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, would you like to respond to that one? I think Isaiah responded before he heard the details. Uh, What in the world does this mean? Isn't the point of stepping up to the plate that you're going to hit a home run? And you have this expectation that hundreds of people are going to come to Christ and it's going to be wonderful? Isn't that why we do that? Uh, What causes spiritual eyes to go blind, ears to go deaf, and hearts to become calloused? You know? You know what causes them? Pharaoh experienced this. Hearing God's word and doing nothing about it. That's what causes people to be calloused, deaf, blind spiritually. It can actually be dangerous to go to church. Careful. Because if you don't take steps of obedience, you're going to lose a little hearing. You're going to lose a little sight. If you're not moving ahead, you're moving back. And in the case of Isaiah's day, he had to give a message of judgment. You don't think hearing the gospel results in closed hearts instead of open ones. Ask Pharaoh, ask Judas, ask Miley, or, yeah, some of them, Katy Perry, a lot of other people who've been seated here. Okay, and are no longer believers today. Uh, It's very possible. Isaiah was called to a difficult mission. Okay? So, he asked if it could be a short-term assignment. (laughs) Right? Next slide. He said, then I said, for how long, oh Lord? Can I get it done in a week in the summer? You know? Uh, And he answered, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and although a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be in the stump. Next picture, this kind of gives a picture of it. See that stump? Can you make out the little, the little sprout in the middle? That's what happened to Isaiah. Almost everyone, certainly the leadership, certainly the majority of the people, turned away from God and were judged as a result. But there was a remnant. There was that holy seed, that holy group who, who decided to follow Christ. And, and that's how the Messiah came to earth, through that holy remnant. Most would reject, but a few would repent. Taking God's word to the ends of the earth is a difficult, discouraging, and even dangerous task. Okay, did you know that? This is not just fun out here. Okay? And there are reasons for that. Where 
sin abounds, it's going to hurt sometimes. People are going to be cold and, and reject you. And if you don't believe it, I'd talk to Steve Eisinger and, and, and the ministry that they've been in uh, trying to deal with a difficult and resistant population. How do you do that? And, well, we've been making some progress, but look at the, look at the statistics. Okay, some say, hey, well, you know, we've pretty much got it done. Everything is, is, is out there. Let's just, uh, you know, send a little money to some nationals out there and hope everything gets done, right? Well, unfortunately, 41.6% uh, of the world's population, three-some billion people, live in unreached people groups where there is no church capable of evangelizing them. Now, that's a lot of people. So our resources need to be focused on helping the gospel to get to the ends of the earth, right? Next. Okay, but here's how the money is distributed. Okay. Local churches, mostly in Christian countries, about 96.8% of the money. Home missions in the, in the same country in which the the, the churches, uh, uh, the Christian nations, basically, about 2.9%. Missions to unevangelized, non-Christian world, about 0.3% of the money that's given for Christian causes. And to the truly unreached people, about 0,075% is given to those causes. It's barely visible in the graph. That's part of the vision of Faith Church. Say, hey, we need to help out in changing this situation because God said we would be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if half of the earth hasn't been reached yet, we need to be prioritizing our, our finances maybe in a little bit different direction, do you think? Could be. The Lord... Wait back. But the, the God who calls us is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, I mean, that can be discouraging. But the one who calls us is the one we saw in the first scene. And that makes all the difference, right? Uh, so is God still calling people to these difficult missions? Well, if that's God's number, there's a lot of missed calls. You know, there's maybe some people that are, maybe some of us just aren't listening very closely. Because I think God is really concerned about that 46%. You know, if we're not concerned about it, we're not very much in tune with God, and so there's a missed call someplace. So step up to the plate. Uh, what does that actually mean for us? If you've experienced God's power and holiness, if you've experienced God's love and forgiveness, well then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you. Okay, it's not just an Old Testament call, right? It's not just an idiosyncratic thing that Isaiah experienced. God's call saying, who will go for me and who will I send, comes to all of us, and it's right here in the book of Romans. It says... If you've understood God's mercy, if you've understood God's greatness, I beg you, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. Now, this is a call for all Christians, okay? This is not just the crazy missionaries that go over there overseas. This is a call for all Christians, right? This is the true worship that you should alter. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of the world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of mind so that you will be able to know what the will of God is, what is good and pleasing to him, and is perfect. Okay, this is what God is asking of us. Okay, so how did I experience that? 
Well, right here, not this place. We were down in Broad Ripple, okay? But Faith Church has been doing these missions conferences for some time. And there was this missionary who came and talked, and he said, you know what? If you understand that Jesus is Lord, you are available. And so I didn't know any better. So I said, okay. You know, and they asked us to stand up, and so I stood up, you know. And, uh, and some of you were there, Phil Johnston, I think you were, you were there, probably. Uh, you know, so I stood up, and, and, you know, a couple years after that, my dad said, well, you're not doing anything this summer. Go to Costa Rica. You can uh, help the missionaries out there. The missionaries, Bob and Barbara Newman, many of you know them, right? They picked me up at the airport, took me up to an orphanage where I worked all summer. They left the country shortly afterwards, so I was kind of on my own. Um, but I learned that you could communicate in Spanish. I learned that there was a lot more need in other places. And God used that as I walked along to just try to indicate which direction I should go. One of those important pieces was in a Spanish class at Wheaton College. I met a beautiful young lady uh, who I thought would help me with her, my Spanish. She didn't really help me much with Spanish, but she helped me with other things. And her name, <laughs> her name was Stephanie. And so we met there. And, you know, to make a long story short, we arrived in Spain in 1982 after studying uh, theology at Fuller Seminary in California. We arrived... And, you know, there, after a year of a kind of a honeymoon period that things were going well, we started the series of crises after crisis after crisis. Everybody quits. They blame you for being uh, a terrible person. Uh, you know, just, I don't even want to go into the details. If you want the details, we'll talk about that later. Okay. This is one of the crises uh, when we bought our youth center, uh, which was a nice uh, building. But, you know, this is what it looked like. Okay, some of you uh, people that have been on the mission trip, you know what it looks like now, right? Well, uh, we had run out of money at this point. So we said, well, how do you put up drywall? And uh, did it ourselves. Okay, Uh, but lots of crises. But here's the thing. It's a difficult, dangerous, and often discouraging task to take the gospel to the ends of the world. But let me tell you something, it's worth the effort. Okay, when we arrived in Spain, there were about 60,000 evangelical Christians in the country. Total. Okay, uh, latest census figures that were released uh, recently, 360,000 evangelical Christians in Spain. Evangelical Christians are the fastest growing religious group in the country. Now, you know, revival hasn't broken out. You know, people are not, uh, you know, uh, praying in the streets. But 60,000 to 360,000, that's a pretty good percentage increase. You know, here's the thing about that. I was able to participate in that by God's mercy and God's grace. Who would miss out on that? Really? Who would miss out on it? We started this little mission supported by Spanish believers in Bulgaria. <laughs> like, that's going to work, right? Uh, yeah, raising funds from, from the... That's right, you know. Uh, but go back, go back, sorry. I didn't mean to... Yeah. Okay, so there's the guy, Ruben... Uh, He's uh, single, and he says, well, I kind of like to evangelize people over here. We said, well, we don't know, you know. We'll try to raise money in Spain. Come over and talk to the people, and we'll see what happens. So he did. He came over, and he, and he talked with folks, and, and uh, miraculously, support was raised for him to be there. But nobody had any idea what would happen as a result of that step of faith because he just goes out and starts planting churches in gypsy populations that have never heard the gospel really they just go out and preach in the streets uh he's got a youth he's got a youth ministry model called youth ministry as church planning 
uh, he takes all the young people out there and has them preach in the streets and, and evangelize. And, and, uh, and so 70 churches have been uh, launched in the last uh, decade as a result of this step of faith to go out there and see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Spain. This is uh, one uh, conference I spoke at recently. Uh, huge churches. 1,500 people. You know, that, that was an unimaginable possibility 30 years ago. God is doing great things. And so recently I was sharing, uh, we had a, like a staff and volunteers retreat. And uh, they asked me one time, they said, well, tell us something about the history of Youth for Christ so we know kind of what's going on, etc. So I put some slides together in about 15 minutes, you know, uh, and, and put them on the screen and started to talk about some of the difficulties, some of the hardships, some of the things that we'd gone through that continued going, etc. And when we got done, it was this amazing experience because one of the gals uh, there said, you know, you talk about all these tough things. She said, but you know what? I don't know where we would have been, a lot of us, if you guys hadn't taken that step, if you hadn't stepped up to the plate at that point. And you know what? One story like that makes it all worth it. 10, 12, 20, 500 stories really makes it worth it. I would never do some other thing than share the gospel in in the place that God has chosen and called me to do because it is worth the effort. Now, it's difficult. It's difficult, but it's worth the effort. So stepping up to the plate means giving your life to God. Ask him what he wants you to do. Trust him for the strength and forgiveness. And just to do it. So I'm going to challenge you today. Okay, next slide. Um, Vocation can take a lot of forms. Okay, this, I don't know if anyone would recognize that. This is Long Acre Park on the south side of Indianapolis. The business that my father started. And he said, what in the world does that have to do with anything? That's what we all wondered. Uh, right? But my dad took a trip when he was about in his 20s, I think, to missionaries all over the world. He looked at what they were doing, and he said, is God calling me to do this? And he says, "Uh, well, actually, I think everybody I met is doing a better job than I could do. He says, but something they all lack is money. He said, I know how to make money. So I'm going to make money, and I'm going to give it to God. That's what he did. Through this business, the other businesses that he had, uh, you know, you had to kind of twist his arm to go out to eat or do something like that. He was, you know, saving that money and giving it to missions. Um, so vocation, vocation can take all kinds of forms. I don't know what God wants you to do with your life, but I do know he wants you to be fully committed to him. He wants you to step up to the plate and say, here am I, send me. Now, the problem, as this cartoon shows, the problem with living sacrifices, right, is that they keep crawling off the altar, (laughs) right? So some of you probably have understood that at one point in your lives, probably understand the theory, and maybe have even had the practice, but you've gotten off the altar a long time ago. And and I would like to just suggest something. As we're thinking about missions, we're thinking about these 46% of the world's population that doesn't know Christ. Maybe some of us ought to get back on the altar. All of us ought to. And say, here am I. Send me if you want. Send me to my business. Send me to whatever. But help me to be in line with your purposes in the world because this is what I want for your lives. And this is what I can do 
in you and through you. So I'm going to ask us just to pray for a minute. I'm going to ask you to make a decision. And, and let's just close our eyes in prayer. Nobody has to be uh, bothering with other people's business. But I want you to think about something. And is, and that is, am I available? Do I serve Jesus as Lord? As the one who has the right to make decisions in my life? Or do I need to make a step of commitment to say, here am I, send me. Step up to the plate and say, I'm available. I don't know what you want, but I'm here and I'm available. And if, they, if you'd like to just give a physical demonstration of that, nobody's looking, okay? I'd just like to pray for you. If you have that in your heart, that feeling that I would like to be a person who steps at the plate, I'd like to just ask you to stand right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. I just like to pray for the people that would like to make that decision. Maybe everybody here is all fully committed. They haven't crawled off any altar any time, and there's no need for a commitment, but maybe there is. So I ask us, just as we, as we pray, that if anyone would like to step up to the plate in that sense and make that commitment, that they just do it right now. speaking to our hearts talk to him about what he wants and put your life in his hands I beg you I urge you for Christ's sake for the sake of the world let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you for your grace and mercy for the fact that we can make decisions to put you as Lord, to understand your, you and your greatness because you offer your love and forgiveness, because you transform our lives by your grace. I thank you now for those who've, who've offered themselves again or put themselves again on the altar, and those who maybe need to. But I pray for them all that you would help us, help us all, Lord, to understand your presence, the need for your truth and your reality in our lives. For the sake of the world, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.